Kia ora, I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. On the same day that we go to the polls in Aotearoa, across the ditch, 25 million Australians have to vote on something very different. On October 14, you'll be asked to vote yes or no to change our constitution. Do you want to recognise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people through a voice to Parliament? As Australians, we have an extraordinary privilege. We share this great island continent with the world's oldest continuous culture. Our nation's birth certificate should recognise this and be proud of it. I thought our voice referendum is on the same day and I thought, you know, it's such a moderate, tiny proposal. So why is this moderate, tiny proposal causing so much angst? Today on The Detail, the proposal to change the constitution to give Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders a say in Parliament. It's called The Voice, and John Farnham has lent his iconic song to the referendum's Yes campaign. We'll talk to broadcaster Moana Maniapoto about her documentary on the referendum, a compulsory vote that is dividing Australia. I fear for Australia if it doesn't accept this real basic and build on it, then, I mean, what, 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 how can you stand up in the world? But first to Tasmania. Gillian Mundy is a freelance photographer and journalist for the Koori Mail, the national Aboriginal newspaper. She's just returned from a hui here with other First Nations journalists, and it's been quite a revelation to her. Yeah, I'm a Palawa woman from Lutrawita, you know, at the moment known as Tasmania to many people. And I think also down to Aotearoa, in a way, broaden my horizons on how different countries and so close were colonised very differently. What do you mean by that? In Lutrawita, or what a lot of people call Tasmania, um, we were colonised in the what the we were invaded by the British in the what was it late seventeen hundreds, early eighteen hundreds, and there was a war here. There was attempted genocide on my ancestors. The island was used as a jail for, you know, convicts from Britain. Yeah, and we've never had a treaty. Our history is very much swept under the carpet. It's not. It's only just starting to get taught in schools. People act like they're allergic to t- truth-telling. Yeah, and I noticed a, a marked difference when I visited Aotearoa. One thing that really stood out to me was watching the election debate between the two Chris's and some of the things they were debating, like, you know, co-governance, reverting to the real name of New Zealand, back to Aotearoa, I just thought it really highlighted how your country got off on a different foot when it was colonised. Will the voice, do you believe, make a difference in terms of recognition of First Nations people? Well, I think it's symbolic. It's certainly nothing like a treaty. I mean, you're probably aware of the Uluru Statement from the Heart. On the 26th of May in 2017, 250 Indigenous leaders gathered at Uluru. For the next four days, in the shadow of the rock, they debated at that constitutional convention what form recognition of First Nations people should take in our constitution. And the answer they came up with is the Uluru Statement from the Heart. 
1967, we were counted. In 2017, we seek to be heard. We leave base camp and start our trek across this vast country. And we invite you to walk with us in a movement of the Australian people for a better future. You know, it's a hope that it will make a difference, that it will be the beginnings of discussions on treaty and truth-telling, but it's very easy to be cynical because we've always had a voice that hasn't been listened to. There's been royal commissions such as the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths and Custody, which had oodles of recommendations, and not many of them are followed, and there's still Aboriginal Deaths and Custody that should not be happening. A lot of Australians, I believe, and I was one of them until probably a decade or two ago, a lot of people in Australia don't understand the political system. We're not taught it in school. Um, I hear people say, oh, but there's already Aboriginal people in the federal parliament. That's the Australian parliament because we're divided into states. So we have state government for each state and then the federal government and the Australian government. There's more Aboriginal people in the Australian government as senators than there ever has been, but they're not designated seats representing Aboriginal people. But we're not even talking about that, are we, if this if this referendum no. goes through? We're talking about that there would be an, an advisory body. Yeah, an advisory body. We have had advisory bodies before. I mean, the message being put around, being put forward is that if it's in the constitution, when if government changes, they can't just get rid of the advisory body at the stroke of a pen. A few years ago, we had a referendum, you might be aware, on same-sex marriage. And one of the things that did was all the underlying homophobia bubbled to the surface. It was some pretty ugly stuff that surfaced in Australia's society. And... I see a lot of that happening now. We don't need to embed this in our constitution in such a way that it creates a rift. You know, you're going to have a large part of the population now seen as an isolated group of people with privileges that the other people don't. This is the colony. We are a dumpster fire. The idea that the people who stole this land and then those who have directly benefited from it are now going to a referendum to think about recognising the people who they stole it off is insane. It's not looking likely that the yes vote is going to win. I think it will be a very disappointing day, you know, on the 15th of October, if the no vote wins. I, I feel like there'll be the right-wing no rejoicing in the fact that the referendum lost. I see it as something quite symbolic, that it will be symbolism that wider Australia do not want positive change for Aboriginal people. Because let's not forget that it's only 3% of Australia that are First Nations or Aboriginal. Mm. It's the rest of Australia voting. Why? Why is there such strong opposition to it? If you do read the comments, there's things like, and we see it all the time, is get over it. You know, get over attempted genocide. Get over stolen generation. Um, we're all the same. You know, are we ever going to advance here when there's, you know, we talk about intergenerational trauma. There's also intergenerational privilege where British people came out here and were given 
free land grants. People had served their time as convicts when Australia, very much in the British eyes, was a penal colony. They were then free settlers given land grants. All that is stolen land. And I don't think anyone's willing to give up their intergenerational privilege. Constitutional recognition, such a basic human right, and yet incredibly, here in Australia, it's far from certain for those who've inhabited this stunning red earth for the last 60,000 years. Moana Maniapoto travelled to the Northern Territory for a documentary on The Voice for Te Ao with Moana. In the 35-degree dry heat of the desert, she was struck by the similar experiences of the Indigenous people of the two countries. But also there's some quite pronounced differences. So they don't have a treaty, first up, which is their kind of our linchpin. They don't have the kind of um, electorate seats that we have for Māori that are dedicated Māori voices. They don't have a Waitangi tribunal. Um, So there doesn't seem to be any mechanism in place that connects the dots between those on the ground and these very remote communities and the ones that are making the decision. And... Obviously, a lot of people are confused about the voice because they're like dealing with daily issues. We live these issues and are impacted by them daily, whatever they may be. Child protection issues, uh, justice issues, youth detention, youth incarceration, housing. It does not make sense any longer for others to be making those decisions without us. So it's day one for us here at the Baranga Festival and it's a really important hui that's going on at the moment. It's like an iwi leaders hui and one of the key issues is around the voice. There was a variety of views there. There were no, there was a lack of no voices there. I was told they weren't brave enough to come into that kind of a community. Um, there were ministers there, and there seem to be ministers for Africa. I mean, they've got state ministers and they've got, you know, federal yeah, ones. Yeah. Um, and lots of different community leaders. And there was support there from the established leaders for a mechanism that will give people an advisory voice to parliament and the executive. So they've identified that the officials, government officials, can clog things up. So you need to have a kind of a pathway there. Mm. It's a referendum and it's a yes or no vote, but it's a bit more complicated than that because there's states and because there's a federal government. So it's compulsory and they need a majority of Australian voters in the referendum have to support it. Um, So there's the majority of voters in a majority of Australia's six states. And ACT and Northern Territory people's votes will count towards the national total, but not towards the state count. Now, I don't know what that means at the end of the day, but I know that previous referendums have failed. So they've shaped this referendum to make it really, really simple, which is you support an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island of voice to Parliament. Mm. It's, it's, it's something that simple, vote yes or no. Now, the no campaign are saying, uh, well, it's all very vague, but experience has shown if you get too complicated, too detailed, it just throws people. So they do have the, the yes campaign have worked out particular pathways and mechanisms um, that would go into legislation that would embed that kind of a local voice to 
federal voice. So it would provide an independent advice to parliament and government. Um, They'd set up kind of um, boards and councils that are appointed or elected or whatever by Indigenous Australians. It'll be representative of different communities and it has no veto power. It's advisory only. So some of the people that I talk to of the no campaign, just mates, they'd go, you know, your lot wouldn't accept that. And I was going, uh, hang on, I think that's how we roll in New Zealand. We, you know, we have our Māori electorates. We have a Waitangi tribunal, which is recommendatory only. Um, there's nothing, Māori do not have veto power over anything. There has been a disinformation campaign in Australia saying, Jesus, we've got to say no. Look at what happens in New Zealand. Honestly. Mm. So you have a you have a very strong disinformation campaign from some part of the no cohort, including Dutton or someone who said, you know, colonization, well, it had its benefits, you know, on the balance it was quite good. And then you have another part of the no campaign, which is kind of Got that um, sovereignty lens, tunorangatira tanga lens. Why, why should we vote for this? This is just advisory, you know. We need treaty. So if the yes vote wins, it's part of the constitution yeah. and that means that an, the next government or any future governments cannot remove it. That's my understanding. Right, yeah. okay. And that seems to be a bit of a sticking point. But it doesn't have powers of veto and... Like I say, a lot of the rhetoric is very familiar. Mm. It's separatism, it's division, all people are equal. I mean, it kind of glosses over the fact that, you know, life is not good for most Indigenous Australians. And then there's a whataboutism, you know, and then, the oh, all this money spent on the referendum should be going straight to the people. So what the proponents of the yes vote are saying is that we need to streamline things, we need to get a better pipeline in terms of advice to government and ways for things to come through. So it shouldn't be an either or. Do people that you spoke to, though, and you did speak to a lot of people, I know. Um, do they believe that if this gets through, that it will fix some of these issues, some of these problems, housing, poverty, addiction? They don't believe that it's the um, be all and end all. They don't believe it's, they just, they believe it's part of incremental change. It's so complicated because there's so many different nations and voices. They don't have the kind of setup here. I mean, we're just we're such a little wee country, and we've got everyone speaks the same language. Mm. You know, we have the Iwi Chairs Forum, New Zealand Māori Council, Māori Women's Welfare League. We've got so many different collectives that often can come together and um, develop a position on something. It's really disparate over there, and I don't know how they navigate it. But one of the guys that I interviewed. In South Australia, they have a voice to parliament. They've got that through, and now they're working on treaty. You know, so I ask them, well, how's that work, you know? Mm. I mean, we're struggling with the one. Well, he's going to have, like, over 40 treaties. Gee. 40 or so treaties, you know, in South Australia. That's what they're going to aim for. And oh, really? Not one the, treaty no. covering the whole state? No, because they're all individual nations. And then I'm saying, and then what? Will there be an overriding treaty? He goes, you know... I don't really know. This is a work in progress. <laughs> We're just working it out as we go along. I'm thinking, oh my god. So you know, they looking at they look at New Zealand. They look at New Zealand. They look at Sami, 
Sami parliaments there. Sami parliaments are pretty much advisory as well. Sami, that's in... In um, Norway, Sweden uh, and Finland. They Mm -hmm. have their own parliaments. So the thing about um, Indigenous Australians, they never ceded sovereignty. That's what we have in common. Māori did not cede sovereignty. What we agreed to cede was governance limited by rangatiratanga so that you have you know, two nations operating in tandem. Mm. They didn't even agree to cede governance. And even like the Attorney General, he says, you know, that that never happened. There was no agreement. So that means that really they see themselves as running running themselves. They see themselves as sovereign nations. Mm. You know, but these sovereign nations have been marginalised, they're disempowered, they're that there's basic water issues and, you know, it's just, it's it's terrible. Um, so that's what they're trying to do by this, having some kind of a mechanism. Behind the no vote, is there a lot of racism? Oh, I think there is. Yeah, there's racism, but there's, it's familiar in the sense that you have a couple of strong Indigenous Australian voices that are joining in the fray and like um, Jacinda Price is saying, the voice is a Trojan for activism. I mean, what does that mean? Yeah, what do, I was going to yeah. ask you, what does that mean? <laughs> a tro- like, you know, they're up to something. The government, you know, and, and, and it's just a front for something. A bit like stealth. You know, there's this, there's, this, there's this thing going on. And so it plays to the fears of Australians that, you know, somehow if they give... Indigenous Australians a voice, they're somehow going to be disempowered themselves. Mm. I think there's a younger cohort in Australia that's not threatened by that, but there seems to be a generational um, thing, you know, where people believe the thing, one vote for all, and we're all happy chappies. Well, yeah. that hasn't played out very well, has it? The bitter political division over the voice goes to the very top, with Prime Minister Anthony Albanese passionate and emotional about it. To not put this to a vote is to concede defeat. You only win when you run on the field and engage. And let me tell you, my government is engaged. We're all in. If the referendum isn't passed, will anything be gained by this? Well, that's a good question. It's raised conversations. It's a good thing. It's brought a lot of subtle racism to the surface. Is that a good thing? I don't know. Maybe it is because we can confront it. There has been a commitment by our government that to fulfil the three parts of the Uluru Statement to the Heart, which is voice, treaty and truth. I would hope they will still be pursuing treaty and truth and there's other ways to have that voice. And let's remember it is just an advisory body. Prime Minister Albanese is is promising that this will bring improvements to health, housing and education through the voice. Do people believe that? Does your community believe that? I would find that hard to answer. I think we're very sceptical. Well, I know there's people that I really respect and I think are very intelligent people that are very pro-voice and advocating for it. So I feel quite torn personally. I feel like I share the opinion that there should not have been a referendum. There was no need for it. But then I'm not a constitutional lawyer either. 
one of our greatest advocates, Michael Mansell, who is a lawyer who studied law to learn the white man's law to progress our community, you know, and without Michael, I don't know whether we would have had land returns. Um, oh, look, there's had our ancestors' remains returned from museums all around the world. He's an absolute stalwart of an activist. He's very much, yeah, this should not be a referendum. He wrote a book, Treaty and Statehood. It might be quite worth looking at. And he, you know, he lives and breathes treaty and law and how we can use the white man's law for our own justice. And I feel like if he's saying, yeah, it's piddly, I have to take his advice. And, it, and of course, it's on our same day as our yeah election. And in a way, Moana, do you, I mean, this feels like it's much more momentous than a three-year national election. Oh, I think it is. I think it is. I mean, they're trying to provide Indigenous people with a structural ability to have some say in their lives. I just, I I fear for Australia if it doesn't accept this real basic and build on it. Then I mean, what, what, what? How can you stand up in the world? How can how can a country stand up and say that they're a modern uh, liberal democracy or something when when the indigenous people are just sort of slammed into the background? You know, I don't know how they, I don't know how they'll be able to do that. It'll be it'll be a terrible thing for Australia. I'm not excited, but I think the new generation. You know, I see my children and their friends, they've grown up with the internet and access to information and it's a bit harder to hide the truth from this younger generation. I have, I think I have hope in the next generation. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell. Our producers are Alexia Russell and Bonnie Harrison. Thanks to Moana Maniapoto and Gillian Mundy. Kakite anō. Kakite anō.